0: In Matthew eight twenty three through 27, God's word says this. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea. So the boat was beginning being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. He said to them, why are you afraid you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey Him. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are powerful, all-powerful. And you're all-wise because you know when to use that power. And you're good. You're good in your wisdom to use that power For your glory and the good of those you care for deeply. So, God, would you receive our worship? Would you receive our praises? We acknowledge you as God, our God, gathering to worship you in spirit and in truth. May you be the one who is glorified in this gathering. But, God, we also ask that you would teach us. Teach us the implications for these truths that, Lord, if you are all powerful, if you are all wise, you are all good, what happens when we disobey? What happens when we run away? God, would you show us your grace where you enter into our mess and you draw us back to yourself? God, would you be with us tonight? Would you bless us in this worship gathering? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I've often heard it said, you're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or heading into a storm. But have you ever stopped to think why you may be going through a storm? It is true that Jesus is capable of calming the storm, yes and amen. But it is also true that Jesus is just as capable of being the one to hurl the storm. And that's our sermon title for tonight. When Jesus hurls a storm. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would see who you are in this text of Jonah chapter 1. So we would see your love for the runaway. Would you bless us tonight as we dive into your word and see what you say plainly? Pray for clarity now as your word is preached. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's dive into Jonah chapter 1, looking at verses 1 through 17. The word of the Lord says this. Now the word of the Lord, Yahweh, came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Then the the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We know it is good to be in the presence of the Lord. But what does it mean to live in his presence now, if you're familiar with the history of God's people, you're aware that God made himself present with his people through the tabernacle, through the temple, and then years later, Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled among us. If we were around at that time, we could touch him, we could talk to him, we could embrace him. But what about Jonah? And what about us? Well, we got to start off with this key truth to understand the presence of the Lord. Most of the time in Scripture, and for us now, the presence of the Lord is a metaphor that can be observed from two angles. First, our experience of it, and second, God's expression of it. I'll explain that, but I want to repeat it one more time because it's important. The presence of the Lord is a metaphor that can be observed from two angles. First, our experience of it. Second, God's expression of it. Our experience of the presence of the Lord is that we taste and see that the Lord is good. We feel or realize the reality of God more directly more authentically, more intimately, more effectively, in that it has a more direct in effect on us, more certainly, more satisfyingly. Our experience of Him is heightened because He is present. But we also view the presence of the Lord by His expression of it. This is His manifest Influence when he manifests himself or his presence in a fresh new way, stunning things happen in the world, whether someone experiences it or not. Tremble before the presence of the Lord, all you nations. It is true that he is omnipresent, and how he upholds the entire universe and sustains it by his power. But he also makes himself noticeably present to influence his creation more directly. For instance, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. God is present with Jonah as he delivers his command to go to Nineveh to urge them to repent of their sin. I'd be remiss if I didn't draw your attention to another truth, that the word of the Lord and the presence of the Lord go hand in hand. The word of the Lord and the presence of the Lord go hand in hand. Jonah is a prophet of Yahweh. He is a mouthpiece. He prophesied prosperity for Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II, the king of Israel. The Lord had chosen Jonah for this role. Jonah experienced the presence of the Lord. He heard from God. He enjoyed the prominent role of delivering God's message to his people. But then, he's told to go to the nations. The great and Wicked city of Nineveh, to be specific. And Jonah turns tail and flees. And we will see how God loves the runaway. But we must first see Jonah chapter 1 for what it is. So one last key truth before we jump in. The first chapter of Jonah is a cautionary tale of what happens when we run from God. The first chapter of Jonah is a cautionary tale of what happens when we run from God. If you're asking, what is Jonah trying to convey in this first chapter? He's looking to warn us. Don't flee from the presence of the Lord. Uh, back in July, Anna and I went to the beach with her side of the family. We went to Santa Rosa, Florida, and we had a great time relaxing, playing games, walking up and down the beach, Uh, but when we got into the water, it was a different story because the waves were rough, but you can't drive eight hours down to the beach and not get in the water, right? To to show that we made it worth our try, We, we got in the water, and we were met with wave after wave after wave, and we got pummeled. That's what I see happening in Jonah chapter 1 here. He is getting pummeled by wave after wave of warning. So that's what I want to give you tonight is four waves of warning from Jonah chapter 1. Four waves of warning. There is a progression taking place as Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord. Every step he takes away from the presence of the Lord, it gets worse and worse for Jonah. So our first wave of warning tonight, when we run from the presence of the Lord, we turn from His face. When we run from the presence of the Lord, we turn from his face. And we see this in verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. We see repeatedly in this chapter that Jonah is fleeing the presence of the Lord. That is Yahweh and the history of God's people. When God was creating his people and he is having this conversation with Moses. and He says, I want, you, I want you to go to these people and let them know they're my people. And he says, who should I say sends me? And God looks at Moses and says, I am who I am, Yahweh. I am who I am. Fast forward to the times of Jesus. When Jesus comes on the scene, we see it repeatedly throughout John's gospel. Jesus keeps using this phrase. He says, I am, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection of, in the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Before Abraham was, I am. We're clued in that Jesus isn't saying he's on the same level as Yahweh. Jesus is saying, I am Yahweh. So every time we look in the Old Testament, we see that beautiful word, Lord, Yahweh. We see Jesus. And Jonah fled the face of Jesus. That word presence in the Hebrew, panim, literally translates to face. The image we are supposed to visualize is that Jonah is fleeing the face of Yahweh. Here he had experienced a rich sense of the presence of God, and now he is turning the other direction away from the face of his God. Jonah didn't want to call Nineveh to repentance. And we'll find out in a few weeks why that is. The important thing for us to see right here, right now, is he blatantly disobeyed God by not doing something that was expected of him. Have you ever done like a double take or a uh, triple take even? About something you know you should have given your attention to, but you're trying your best to kind of avoid doing that very thing? You know, maybe it's a, some, something as simple as you see a napkin on the ground, and you convince yourself, I'm not going to pick it up because what's about to happen? The wind's about to blow it away, and good try, right? Or here's another example. You're driving, and you see kind of a, a bike, a guy on a bike right next to you, and he's kind of he's a little too wobbly, right? And then you see him just crash and burn, right? And you just kind of keep driving, but you give this little take in your rearview mirror. He's like, sure, sure he's going to get up, right? Like, I, I can keep driving like he's just, he's going to get right back up. <laughs> or that person who's sitting by themselves and you're just kind of giving them a glance like sh- surely somebody's going to come and talk to them, right? Like I don't have to do that. Like somebody else will come by. Somebody else. A coworker flares up at work and gets everybody's attention. You're like peeking over your cubicle like, "Man, is everything okay? Like, what's going on over there? Should I should I go check on them?" No, that's a job for their therapist, right? Like, I'm not qualified for that. like, no. There's an unreached people group without the gospel. God's got some missionaries for that. Listen, wherever or whoever God sets his face towards, we should want to follow his presence to that place and to those people. It shouldn't matter how difficult it is, how anxious we feel, how undeserving those people are. If God would set His heart to shine His face upon them, may we be the ones who enjoy His presence as we participate in His redemptive purposes for them. Please say amen. Wave of warning number two. When we run from the presence of the Lord, we cope as an escape. When we run from the presence of the Lord, we cope as an escape. We see this in verses 4 through 6. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Jonah had gone down to Joppa and then went down into the ship. The Lord, Lord hurls a great wind upon the sea, which creates a mighty storm. All the sailors are losing their mind because they've never seen a storm like this. But Jonah had gone down into the most inner part of the ship and was fast asleep. We're talking good old-fashioned rim cycle sleep. Jonah has progressed into a deep, and careless slumber. Why? Because he's using his sleep as a coping mechanism for his situation, a situation of his own making. I remember getting to a similar point back when I was in college. I had a full load of coursework, had responsibilities for the church and the college ministry. I was making videos Pretty consistently, I had other responsibilities on that. I'm supposed to be a part of everything the college ministry does, and by the end of it, I'm just burnt out. And so I stopped caring about myself, and I certainly stopped caring about other people. And eventually, I get to this conversation with my roommate Dave, who I looked up to. And I'm just being honest with him. I said, Dave, all I want to do is sleep. I want to sleep through my studies, I want to sleep through my exams, I want to sleep through my responsibilities, I want to sleep through all of it. How about you? How do you tend to cope when you turn away from the presence of God? It may not be as bad as anything like drinking or doing drugs, but what about consistently, constantly craving social activity because you can't stand to be alone. Or quite the opposite. You only want to be alone. You come in late to worship and duck out early because you don't want to have a conversation in which you come face-to-face with how you haven't been present with the Lord. Or perhaps redirecting your attention towards ministry Let's give Jonah the benefit of the doubt. Let's say he was going to preach in Tarshish, right? The very lower part of Spain, 2,500 miles away from Israel. Let's say he's going on a mission trip. It would still be an act of disobedience against God because that's not what God told him to do. He would be, in that instance, using ministry as a coping device. We need to reflect on our own lives and see where we're inclined to use coping as an escape. Jonah had a desire to sleep through his disobedience. What could you be using to cope with? Wave of warning number three. When we run from the presence of the Lord, we forget our true identity. When we run from the presence of the Lord... We forget our true identity. We see this in verses 7 through 10. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. When the sailors want to know who Jonah is, the first words out of his mouth are, I am a Hebrew. I am a Hebrew. It's very telling. Jonah takes greater pride in being a Hebrew than he does a prophet of the Lord. You see, Jonah is an Israelite supremacist. He cares more for the prominence of his own people than taking the God of his people to the nations. But even this confession of being a Hebrew is self-incriminating. He says that he's a Hebrew and that he fears Yahweh but he does not care about the very heart of Yahweh. God made a people to be his people so that they would be a nation of priests. His desire was for them to represent him and declare his glory among the nations. Jonah has lost sight of his true identity. My nephew Hank loves dinosaurs. Every time I go over to my sister's house, he is playing with toy dinosaurs, dinosaurs, wearing dinosaur pajamas, watching dinosaur videos. He is all about dinosaurs to the point that it has become part of his identity. Who is Hank? Oh, that's the kid that likes dinosaurs. But recently, that identity was tested at a recent trip to the Pink Palace. Hank, you love dinosaurs. Don't you want to see one up close? I'll hold you. He says, let's get out of here. (laughs) Jonah, you are a prophet of God. Don't you want to call people to repent and believe in him? He'll be present with you. Jonah flees. What about you? What are you claiming to be? How do you identify yourself? Are you quick to call yourself a Christian when somebody asks you? What about a child of God? If you were on the retreat with us this past summer, we learned that our most important, our foremost important identity is that of a, as a child of God. What about a follower of Christ? Let me ask you, is that why you're here? Have you chosen to gather with us because you want to learn what it means to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus Christ? Are you here to be a light to the world? If you have forgotten your true identity, you are in no position to represent Jesus. more than likely you're feeling self-imposed shame or self-pity and pride. Bottom line, when we don't find our identity and what God says of us, namely that we are His child, then we will invite people to identify us by our past hurts, our present pains, and our future misery. Jonah knew what was coming, which leads us to our fourth and final wave of warning. When we run from the presence of the Lord, we see death is inevitable. When we run from the presence of the Lord, we see that death is inevitable. We see this in verses 11 through 16. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be quiet for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will be quiet for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Then the men feared Yahweh exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. Jonah knows why this storm has come upon the ship. And what a picture of how one person's sin can impact a whole lot of people. He sees clearly that the only righteous outcome for his disobedience is death. And he's actually right. The wages of our sin is death. The price we pay for our rebellion is our life. Jonah knows that it is useless to try and row to dry land at this point. The only way the storm will cease is if the sailors throw him overboard. And notice that the sailors do not wish that for Jonah. They call out to Jonah's God so they would not perish for throwing him into the sea. It's fascinating that the pagan sailors have a a greater fear and reverence for the Lord Yahweh than Jonah, the prophet of Yahweh. A servant of God is getting shown up by a bunch of sailors. And in this, we see the redemptive purposes of God. That the Lord can simultaneously use a storm to punish disobedience in one person while winning others to saving faith. Wow. Who but our God. Whereas they receive mercy... Jonah received judgment. Have you seen this progression play out with someone in your life? Maybe you've seen this up close. Someone disobeys the command of God. God reveals His laws, His statutes, rooted in the the core of His character says this is the path to flourishing in this life. And somebody looks at, say, the Ten Commandments and says, I want nothing to do with that. Someone disobeys the command of God, then they become anxious because their future is uncertain. They have every right to be anxious. If they're breaking God's law, seeking their own way for human satisfaction and flourishing. But in the midst of that anxiety, they cope using, let's say, drugs and alcohol. And then they start to identify with their coping habits. And then eventually, they drift down the road of death and destruction. That progression may take a few years or a few weeks, but the start and the finish are always the same. In God's economy... Disobedience leads to death, always. Disobedience leads to death, always. Only when we see this reality for what it is can we appreciate what is really occurring in this story. Which brings us to our final truth for the night. When we run from the presence of the Lord, Jesus hurls a storm. When we run from the presence of the Lord, Jesus hurls a storm. And if I can point to an application, it'd be this, don't flee the presence of the Lord. Don't run away. But I want us to look again at verse 4. It says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. As a response to Jonah's disobedience, Yahweh hurls a great wind upon the sea. That word wind is the Hebrew word ruach, which can be translated as wind, breath or even spirit. The image we get is one of the Lord breathing powerfully upon the sea to create a storm, and He does so with marvelous purpose. You see, Jesus can be provoked to hurl a storm in our lives. Now, it does not flow as readily from His heart. We saw that in our Scripture reading. We saw that Jesus calmed the storm and the waves. His disciples, in a panic, woke him up as he was sleeping, and his first instinct to do was to bring order to the chaos. And in fact, Genesis chapter 1 mentions how the Holy Spirit hovers over the waters, over the chaos, before bringing about order to God's creation. This is what flows most readily from the heart of our God. But he's capable of hurling a storm because he works in that storm to bring Jonah back to himself. And that's an act of his grace. You say, where do you see God bringing Jonah back to himself? Well, I saw it early on in this text when it told me that Jonah is the son of Amittai. What does Amittai mean? The name Amittai translates to my faithfulness. Jonah is the son of Amittai, which means my faithfulness. Jonah remains an object of God's faithful love. And the same is true of you if you are a child of God. When Jesus hurls a storm, he does so out of a faithful love for the runaway. He loves you too much to let you throw your life away. Are you in a storm right now? Is Jesus trying to use it to get your attention? He loves you too much to let you go. He desires to be present with you, to bless you, to guide you into obedience of faith. He has shown this to us and how he entered into the world, breaking past the separation between man and himself. He longed to be present with his fallen creation, but he knew we could not obey his word. Our disobedience demanded death. We fled his presence, but he chased us down with a steadfast love of the gospel. Jesus endured the storm of the Father's wrath for you and for me until it was satisfied. And he did this to show how much he hates sin. Yes, but more importantly, how much he loves you. Whether in the storm or on the cross, Jesus proves what he's willing to do to draw you back to himself, into his presence. You're either in a storm, Coming out of a storm, heading into a storm. When we run from the presence of the Lord, Jesus hurls a storm. Now, not every storm is a storm of your own making, sometimes it's the making of another. We saw that much with the sailors. But every storm should cause us to examine our own lives because we don't want to sleep on our own disobedience. Not like Jonah. Have you provoked the Lord to hurl a storm into your life? Jesus doesn't enjoy it. But he will do everything in his power to draw you back to himself. There may even come a day when you actually view this storm as a gift. In retrospect, as an act of kindness towards you in your rebellion, have you fled the presence of the Lord? Are you tired of running? Are you tired of getting pummeled by wave after wave? Turn back to Jesus. Repent of your sins and submit yourself to God afresh. Lean into His loving embrace. Enjoy his presence again.